the funny thing about being stupid is that sometimes it's the smartest thing you can do. This is my conversation with Michael Levy. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repton. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Michael Levy. He's become a world leader on the philosophy of truth and wisdom, but not a lot of people know that. His 17 inspirational books have never been advertised or marketed. And that's probably a great way to maintain their authenticity. And I'm really, really excited to talk to Michael today. And one of his friends at one point had mentioned to him, after seeing him after years and years, saying, Mike, you are completely untainted by education. And I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Hirsch. So as you know, Truth Tastes Funny is the name of this show. And that's a great place for us to start because life is so ridiculous, so absurd in many ways. If you had to offer your take on what the most absurd thing about life on Earth is, what might that be? Well, simple answer to that one. The human conditioning of its own cleverness, its knowledge, and the way it tries to adapt itself into a realm that seems to be going further and further away from the truth and wisdom that we're all born with and replacing it with the knowledge, the intellect, the learning that each person gets as they grow up. And in each person's case, it's all different. We all grew up in different households, different religions, different scientific ways of looking at the world. Even scientists and even philosophers have never ever been able to agree with each other on the search for truth. So truth and wisdom are not things that we can define intellectually. It's, it, our brains cannot accept it because of all the conditioning we've got. However, every cell in our body, every molecule is permeated with truth and wisdom. Because if it's not there, we'd be dead. They've got to work off truth 24 7 365 and there's things that we've got to do as human beings to keep alive we've got to breathe in air we've got to drink water we need to eat certain types of foods to stay healthy and other kind of foods that can make us sick and we go down different paths eventually some people may stop at half term maybe when they get to 40 and say what's life all about struggled, I've done this all my life, maybe I've achieved what I need to achieve monetary-wise, but I still don't seem to be contented. I still don't seem to be able to put a handle on what's bothering me. And I get hooked into arguments with other people. I get hooked into all different kinds of discussions and nothing comes from it all. I might come on a treadmill and do I really need to go through this all my life? If a person gets to that stage and wants to start to search a little bit deeper, that could be the 
the prologue to finding what it means to live with truth and wisdom. Where did the journey start for you? The journey for me started when I popped out of the womb, believe it or not. And the reason being, I'm saying that, I looked round, I got a smack on the bottom, got started to cry, and then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to cry anymore. I'm going to keep myself happy. And that was as I popped out of the womb. And I've always been able to do that. We grew up in a corner row house in Manchester, England. There's no running hot water outside toilet. It was what people would call poor. But for me, it was a palace. It was my palace for 19 years until I got married at 19 and had two children on the way very quickly. Now, I left school at 16. I tried to make the teachers laugh. They tried to teach me something and we both kind of failed at it. Although I did get my uh, GCEs at 16 as I left school. Yeah. So I knew how to read and write. <laughs> and, but the thing is this, I've always been called stupid. And because I've always been called stupid, it allowed me to live in a joyful state of mind. And when you're living in a joyful state of mind, it means you're being guided by truth and wisdom. Now, joy isn't happiness. They're totally different things. Happiness is derived from the physical world we live in and all the things that are in it. The joy has got a partner called love, and they are derived from a metaphysical world. The metaphysical world that has created us or evolved us or whatever interpretation that you want to put of where we've come from. So the Big Bang happened 14 billion years ago and through that process of the ether and the dust swirling around, slowly Earth was formed. It was put in a magical position in our solar system. We had a sun that could heat us up, bring life to Earth, and slowly life was beginning to form on Earth. Where we came from, nobody really knows how long it took to get human beings to where we are today. But the fact is, we've sophisticated ourselves, mostly, out of our natural way of being. And because we've sophisticated ourselves so much, the world's become ridiculous, like you said. Yeah. We're, and I've talked about this with people, about being too smart, quote-unquote, smart for our own good. You know, we've exceeded our capacity to understand ourselves by filling ourselves up with all kinds of knowledge that we evaluate as some kind of progress but I don't think we really know what progress is. I like what you said about a joyful state, and I do appreciate the difference between being in a joyful state and being happy. It seems that most of us, if there's any conditioning at work, the very first part would be conditioning us to pursue something, right? To pursue, we can call it fulfillment or happiness, but in the social construct, we're conditioned to pursue a certain chain of events. You know, procreation being part of it, you got married at 19 and then you know, you started having children. What was going on at that time? What were you thinking about at that time? Well, kind of, I uh, went from a few jobs. I was basically very high spirited. so. I started at 19 with my own business, basically. I had 100 pounds, which was like $150. I bought some cloth remnants because I was working for a, a, 
business on, on the market selling curtain fabric. And I just went, bought an old clapped out van and went to markets with these cloth remnants. I couldn't get a stall on the good markets and the superintendents wanted to kick back so they didn't even know what that was. So I wanted to give them if I didn't know because my mum always told me to be honest. So I went down the street, put a sheet on the sidewalk and actually worked off the sidewalk. So I literally started from the bottom up. And by the time I'd reached probably 28, I'd built up a very successful wholesale textile corporation. I then, a bit later on, went on to some commercial properties in Manchester. Nobody wanted these fantastic Victorian buildings. A lot of companies were going bankrupt, uh, textile companies, that tried to put me out of business when I first started in wholesale. And I didn't know, supposedly they're supposed to be my friends, but I was being stabbed in the back all the time. But I enjoyed whatever they were saying, and I was so stupid. When anybody insulted me, I accepted the insult and laughed with them. I didn't know they were insulting me. So I thought it was a compliment what they were saying. So I just thought good of people. Being stupid, actually, there's an art to it. And that art means that people can't bully you anymore. They go and bully somebody else because they can't get through to you. You know? Yeah. So, but within that stupidity, there was a force. And this is the most important thing about it. This force that I kind of connected to at birth would guide me through the conditioning. I'm still conditioned, we're all conditioned. So it would guide me through this conditioning and allow me to take a step back. But not always, because my ego was pretty strong in those days. I was more of like a male chauvinist, if you were going to call it like that, until I met my second wife, and she knocked the male chauvinist out on me, because she kept asking me lots of questions. And I suppose it, she's responsible for me becoming an author and doing what I'm doing. She actually co-authored a book in 2015 called Well, 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 Eat Well, Think Well, Live Well, because she's kind of studied nutrition for most of her life. So there's a progress along the path all the time. So we've got the commercial property. I've always been in the stock market from being 19. I always took an interest in those markets. So I've been very successful as an investor, trader, if you want to call it, whatever label you want to put on it. Never been in a crash. I've always been out well before the crash. Secret is never be greedy. Little fish are sweet. Take little profits along the way. Like now, we're in the process of going into a recession. So the thing is, it's a bit late in the day for some people because they've already been holding some crazy stocks that have lost about 80% of the value already because they've never had any value and it was just a big bubble that's being created. Same with crypto. Crypto is just a, a Ponzi scheme scam. But intellectually, people are hooked into it. Intellectually, it makes sense to the intellectual brain. That's the problem, you see. Our intellectual brain can, can be convinced of anything. And money becomes a religion for a lot of people because they might make a little bit to begin with. But the only people at the end of the day that really make money and scams like that are the manipulators. The ones that know to get the people in, they get out at the right time when it goes up, and they wait for the markets to drop, people to get out, then they go back in again. So, but this is like a pyramid scheme, if you will, which we had in the 60s or 70s, and they made that illegal. But this somehow or other, again, with very clever minds. So remember, there's a clever mind that can do good for human beings, that is guided by the intelligence and wisdom. And that's where all the sages have come from in the past. 
and they've done all the good things and that stands the test of time. And then there's the other side of it, the curse side of the clever mind. That takes us on a not so merry path and it makes wars. That's going on now with Ukraine and Russia. Russia's idea of what it wants to do. No sense to it whatsoever. What can he possibly gain by it? But people are being killed by it. And it's gone on for, since human beings started walking and trying to find the other tribe across their way that might have a little bit of something that they haven't got. And this, and this is all permeated by negative emotions. And every one of those negative emotions are attached to our ego, to our personality, to the knowledge, and that's why we come under stress. Because none of those negative emotions are real. The only two real things that we've got aren't emotions. It's love and joy, and those are feelings. We can feel and sense it, even though we might not be, I'll do my best to try and describe it into words with poetry and ways of connecting to it. And poetry is a good vehicle to overcome what we can't do with just speaking, just saying something. Because your mind's got to work out on a poem and it's like watching a movie. You've got to finally find out what's going on. Now, in today's movies, there's very few good movies around. But if you look at the old movies, they had quality them. And why was it quality? Because they had entertainment. Why do you watch television? Why do you go to the movies? You want to be entertained. But again, the brain has gone down a different route now. People are looking for horror films, for horror games that they're playing, killing people. Well, that all has an effect. And cause and effect is the main curse that human beings are suffering today. Well, what what's happened with entertainment or or movies is that, to your point, we're not really seeking to be entertained. We're seeking to be stimulated or distracted. So the quality, the nuance, all of that is is gone for the most part. That's probably why the the bigger blockbuster you know marvel films and and things like that are so prevalent because i mean they're executed with very high production value and there are very skilled artisans behind it but it's very 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 broad and very stimulating or designed to be stimulating there is no nuance in that and so when we think about formal, what we consider to be formal education, is there an approach that you advocate based on your own experience and your lack of formal education in the, the traditional sense? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the guy that told me uh, I'm not tainted by education and I grew up in the same street as him, was dean of two universities, London University and Leeds University. So he had a major heart attack when he was about 56 and it gave him a wake-up call. So then he got a job with helping kids who had been in accidents and if they'd been awarded money by the court, he worked for the Lord Chancellor's office and made sure that the kids got looked after. So we took a big turning and that's why we got yeah. along and had a great conversation. When it comes to, and he couldn't get through to the educational system, even though he was dean of the two universities, he couldn't put his mark on it from where he came from, his background, which was very humble like mine. 
he wanted to bring in different curriculums and ways of teaching and he couldn't. The system pulled him into the gutter and gave him so much stress which caused his major heart attack. So but teachers today are under more stress than ever. The kids today have got more freedom. They're brought up differently. Dr. Spock, I don't know whether he did a good job or not, but I know some friends who have kids and a three-year-old child, if they wanted to go out for a meal, they'd ask the child, where do you want to go for a meal? And uh, the kid only knew Fridays. So he said, oh, that was Fridays. So we all got to go to Fridays because the kid only knew one restaurant. So that's all the kind of power they give to a three-year-old child. And it grows up with that and it grew up into not such a great kind of upbringing for them. But the thing is today, kids are brought up with the video games and there's guns being brought into school, there's shootings. Teachers are being threatened all the time. So it's a very difficult situation. Now, there are good kids too. Not all kids are like that, obviously. But the situation within the educational system, first of all, you've got to make the lessons. I won't like use the word interesting because there's an old Chinese curse and it says, may you live an interesting life. So I won't use the word interesting for that. But you've got to gain their intentions, attention. And you've got to find a way to become the friend. You've got to be part of them and understand where their mentality is and what they're going through. And that's what I try and do when I speak to each person that I meet along the day. I meet people, Republicans, Democrats, religious, non-religious. And I go down, I almost say, I go to their level. And I speak on their level. And I try and put some caveats into it, some nuggets of gold that they can latch on to and make me go away and think, well, you know what, I never thought about that before. That's a thought that maybe I could dwell on a little bit and maybe it can give me a lead into this path, which is, as Frost said, the, the path least travelled. And the path least travelled today is least travelled than ever. I've noticed in the past 22 years that I've been riding, at the beginning, people were more open to my books. Like I said, I've never advertised them, but people found, still find them. But today, most people, if I speak to them, oh, I'm going to get your book. They never do. And the fact is, their mind won't allow them to do it. You see, truth is truth. It can't be dictated to. It won't bend. Truth never bends. Truth is there and has been there from day one of what human beings could all time. And it was there before that too. Whatever was before the Big Bang or whatever it was, it's never gone away because there's one power that I can describe for who we are. Now, people want to call it God, or an atheist might say by chance. But whether it's by chance or whether you want to have a description of God, biblical ways or spiritual ways of describing God, doesn't matter as long as you understand two things. We human beings are all energy. And that energy comes into us when the sperm hits the egg, the one cell, and that cell multiplies into billions of cells, which we are now. And along with the trillions of molecules, that makes up this miraculous universe called a human being. We are miraculous, we're miraculous beings. But people don't understand the miraculousness of what we are. They don't appreciate it. They're only moaning and groaning about that politician who doesn't believe in what they're believing in. And 
that they've been pulling themselves down into an early grave. The energy has a partner, and that partner is called intelligence. Because you can't have energy without intelligence attached to it. Not in the metaphysical world, you can't. Because the energy has to be producing something. Energy is always producing something new. It's changing its identity. When, when we disappear, this disappears into dust. Where it came from? We were dust floating around the universe many moons ago. But now it's come together in a miraculous, very, very short life. We're here in a blink, we're gone. And people don't realise that. They think, oh, 100 years, the Queen just died, 96. Now, she's lived an exemplary life. Would I like to have been born into royalty? Not for anything. <laughs> right? You're like in a prison of doing something. But what she was in, she was exemplary in playing her role. And the fact is, we're all role-playing, every one of us. We're all playing our roles out every moment that we're on Earth. Well... The reason why my philosophy is different is you can adapt your role plays but understand you're the witness of the role play, you're not the participant. You're the observer of yourself so it's impossible to come under stress. Now if you call it reality and your reality is purely just the physical life of the short work we have, well the word real means lasting. And we don't last. We've got a short shelf life. So what is real? Real is this intelligent energy that will come in and it goes out. And that is who we are. And it has to contain this love and joy. Otherwise it couldn't contain, it couldn't create anything. And that is the true meaning behind love and joy. The blissfulness. Love is a metaphysical, I'm not talking about the physical love as human beings and there's many facets to that too and that's fantastic but without the actual metaphysical understanding of true love and true joy and that is what my books are all about explaining those two things it took me six years of sitting out on the balcony a little boat on the ocean looking out to the stars at night asking question after question after question well, even when I was playing golf I was, my mind was buzzing around for six years and at the end of the six years, I'd correlate a lot of the thoughts. I didn't know what to do with them, because I never thought about writing in a million years. It's so far from what I was doing back in Manchester. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, maybe I should write this stuff down. Well, one angel here said, yes, do it. And the other one says, you can't even spell, forget it. Who's going <laughs> to read your books? And the other one says, who cares who reads your books? You're not doing it to impress anybody. You've got nothing to prove. You're not going to, truth and wisdom doesn't need proving. It speaks for itself. And your results will speak for itself if you're using it. So yes, have an intellectual brain. We've all got that. Have knowledge, but not too much. Otherwise, it will capture you and you'll go down the wrong tap route. But keep knowledge all the time. Learn something new every day. But allow yourself to be guided by this truth and wisdom. And if that can be taught in schools to the, to the kids that come in from an early age and they continue talking about that before they teach the lessons, then a few kids will cotton on to it immediately because we've all got that within us. And once it's hit, you realise lights go off in your brain and your neurons of your brain start lighting up. 
This sounds good. This sounds enchanting. I can live on Earth. I can live on enchantment and be in love and joy 24-7, 365. I can never come under stress and if the stress does come into me, I know I'm in a bubble wrap and it can't really affect me because I'm so stupid I can't accept it. And because I know I'm so stupid, I know I need guidance. Now, if you take the for instance of what happened in 2008, the last meltdown in the market, came about because of the collateralized notes and everybody was accepting them, all the banks were accepting them, they didn't understand them, but they accepted them. And they were so leveraged and overargent that it caused the collapse. Now, if those people had purity of mind and they'd realize that that is not the way humanity needs to go down, then we could have avoided it. But they couldn't do that because they were clever. They had brilliant minds. Now, if they knew they were stupid, then they wouldn't have done it. Because at the end of the day, those clever minds caused one of the most stupid results we've ever had. And that's why we've had 12 years of zero interest rates. And now the Fed are trying to get out the hole that they've dug by quantitative easing and putting us in behind the eight ball. So that's why this recession can't be avoided. And we've got uh, inflation at eight and a half percent at the moment. Might go down a few tabs, but they want to get down to two percent. Well, I think the markets are underestimating how much interest rates are going to be going up because they've got to stop this bubble and the stock market is still in a bubble. Still overvalued greatly a lot of stocks. And the cyber currencies, well, if it continues on with it, then they've got to find a new way of projecting it that will digitalize what you would call a real currency. And the only country that's done it was San Salvador, which isn't really a country, <laughs> whoever paid the government there to do it. Yeah. So that's, you can forget that one. So it's really, it's got no intrinsic value. And because it's got no intrinsic value, you can only buy it on faith, on belief. And belief believes it, it wants this intellectual brain to be conditioned. One of the things that you hit on was the truth and wisdom not needing any validation, right? We don't need validation for it because it is empirical, right? So in the post-truth environment that we're in now where there's so much disinformation, so much propagation of propaganda, how best to identify what is quote-unquote real in the sense of being being truth and wisdom? Because I love the idea of aligning with it and taking the pressure off ourselves in a lot of ways of confusing ourselves, deluding ourselves, but how do we find that core truth? Yeah, well, it's not easy for most people, that's for sure. And this little box of tricks we've got up here is a brilliant box of tricks. And many times we think we've got the answer. It's like golf. You think you've got the answer, you go out and play golf. Next time you go out, you play a load of rubbish. So the brain is continually working on maintaining this ego. Ego means he's got out. It's one of my catchphrases that a lot of people have used. And however you would deem your God to be, of course, or not to be. But the ego is in all human beings. It's an intricate part of our 
being actually, you need an ego to have an identity. You need a name, a label. You need an education to be able to speak about this and to understand what's being said. And all those facets that we've got are fine. The problem comes when they become dominant and they replace what is true and what is wisdom. A good analogy basically, you can go back to the Bible, however you want to look at it. Some people say it's fairy stories, some people believe every word in it. But the basic is Adam and Eve. And they're living in paradise. They've got no clothes on. They're, they're pure. So it's a couple that's in paradise, basically. And then the serpent, which I, is ego, comes in to blame the woman because it's written by a man. So they go and eat from the tree of knowledge. It's the knowledge. So you, you're not supposed to do that. God says, don't do that. You'll lose me. So you bite into that knowledge and you're immediately evict yourself from paradise. You look at each other and say, oh, it's dirty. Pump some fig leaves. You're not clean. And you start making up all this thing about not being dirty, this is wrong, that's wrong. And you start bringing in these rules and regulations. Needed some rules and regulations and laws for a civilized society to live. But majority of them are leading us up the garden path. And there's no end to this path that we keep going down. So once you start to understand you're on this treadmill, you say, well, how do we get off it? Well, you can't get off it. There's no getting off it. When you're dead, you're off it. It's always going to be around you, and everybody else will be living it. But like I said earlier, as long as you're a witness and, not the, and you're observing your actions, then you can start to take things into hand. And I mentioned a little bit earlier too, 24-7, 365, living in a state of love and joy. Well, you ask yourself, in this moment in time, am I living in a state of love and joy? And what does that love and joy mean? Well, it might take a little while to start understanding what love and joy means. But then, once it starts to permeate inside you, you then have got a yardstick. You've now got something more tangible to put your brain on and find ways of tricking yourself out of the stress, out of the way your mind is tricking. If you can't get to sleep, you use a mantra, happy, 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 empty, empty, empty. You repeat that loads of times to take the thoughts away. But if you want me, I'll just write, uh, read a poem that was actually, it's an old poem. It was when one of my early books, it's out of print now, but I did republish it in a a book of 75 poems called Soul Up on Inspirational Poetry and it's called The Joy of Blue and a lot of people have read this and it's turned a lot of people around from a negative mindset once they got to understand the words. We live in a field of dreams and thought, treasure on earth that cannot be bought, flights of exultation on the wings of height Waves of joy, giving strength and might. Unforgettable bliss, no want of need. Motions drift away from human greed. Forever young, an endless mystical clock. Blue bound waves, sail to a timeless flock. In an open aura, shines a galaxy of light. 
Mona Lisa's smile cascades from spirit's sight. Brilliance, sparks of brilliance from invisible rays. Saps of white light, vessels all ablaze. Newborn babies, sensations of pure delight. Innocence and peace, joy the devil cannot fight. Thoughts of joy keep peace in control. Loving gifts reside in the eternal exotic soul. Using the word soul basically has a religious connotation to it, but it best describes this intelligent energy that we are and it gives us a true identity of understanding ourselves and once you understand you're timeless what would you fear somebody wants to shoot you let them shoot you somebody wants to whatever they're going to do to you let them do it but what's the so what no one lives forever no matter what if you get to 96 type of queen as you've done very well if you get into the world and you're here for 10 minutes as a baby and go out of it and you've got a pure mind going out well you're better off than most of the people that have suffered all their life in it i mean look at all these stars that we've had there's a movie out now called elvis and he, he died at 42 one of the greatest entertainers we've had michael jackson yes. whitney houston the list goes on and on of so many great artists who couldn't control that ego couldn't control the pressures of life and they, if they can't do it, with all the money that they achieve, and all the fame that they achieve, then what good is all the fame and all the money? Why go running after it? Now, don't mean to say, don't become, if you want to become famous and a great artist, fine. But enjoy the moments while you're doing it. And when you become that great star, enjoy yourself the same way. Don't differentiate between a phrase or an insult. The, the same imposter, both of them. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the notion of not just of a phrase and insult being the same imposter, that's wonderful. But the notion of soul being really another word for intellect and if you and the ego being what drives disinformation or confusion. If you look at those things in context, and you mentioned Ukraine and Russia, so you could argue that Putin, for example, ha has only ego, is only driven by ego. There is no intellect or soul at work there. So the truth then, truth and wisdom, would seem to be the polar opposite of his disposition. And of course, in order to see that, one has to adopt that, that opposite position. The not be driven by ego, seeking only truth and wisdom, and also filling one's soul with joy. So if you can do all of those things, you're not likely to be, you know, to, to be in the other camp. But for correction, first of all, the soul isn't intellect. It's the opposite. Okay. It's intelligence. Yes. No. Oh, okay. And on second is the... Now, it's good that you come up with this because people are thinking like that. And it's good that you mentioned it. And also, we can't fill the 
soul with joy. Impossible. Right. There's no such thing as the dark side of a soul. Soul is pure and it's filled with joy. And that's what it's feeding us. It's our manna from heaven. So it's, it's nurturing us and nourishing us. Yes, yeah, nourishing us and it's filled with truth and wisdom. That's all it is. It only contains that. See? It's got no physical form to it. It's got no intellectual way of understanding what it is. You can't get the truth, get it into your head. Oh, I've got a good identity now. I, I, and you start making all these words up around the word soul because it's the purity of that intelligent energy that we're living. And it's such a hard job to bring that into our everyday life and allow ourselves the grace to go in the back seat and become the passenger instead of the crazy driver in the front seat. And that's what we all are. We're driving ourselves into an early grave. We're driving ourselves into ill health. We're driving ourselves into need of medications when we don't need to. A human being can live healthy throughout their life without any need of medications. Unless, of course, you're born with certain defects. I'm talking about the average person who's born with... There are traits in every human being that could be inherited from different generations along the way. And those traits could come in and make a difference. Our DNA could make a difference to us, for sure. I interviewed a guy, not a, quite a few, that's a professor actually, quite some time ago, and he couldn't eat broccoli. And he was convinced he couldn't eat broccoli. So his mind's already, he said, and my father couldn't do it either. So he's programmed himself into believing that it's in his DNA. Well, it might be in his DNA that the taste of broccoli might not appeal right away. But if you've got the broccoli and put some Indian herbs on it, some curry and something, you put it in other types of food, then you would get the nourishment from it without thinking of eating broccoli. So you change the recipe. And that's what we're going to do with our thoughts. We've got to try and change the recipe and think to yourself, step back and say, well, I'm living this way now. And don't know how long I've got in front of me. And what I'm saying about health and everything like that, there's no guarantees of what I'm saying is going to these are just ways of expression that I've experienced and because I've gone down certain routes I'm able to live that way but there's no guarantee that it's true I'm just saying it because it's worked for me so understand no one's going to tell you the truth and say this is the way you've got to live or that's what's going to be you've got to find that out for yourself but the good thing about what I'm talking about is there's no downside to it there's no downside risk you can only gain from it by understanding yourself greater and not being carried away with anything. Yard six are, somebody starts to insult you or someone wants to row with you, but agree with them. You're right. Call you stupid. Well, they are right, 100% with me. The neighbors call me stupid have always agreed, automatically. And two of the essays in one of my books called Cutting Truths, two of the essays in that is, are the art of success by the art of stupidity and that's the only way I've succeeded in my life so I retired from business world at 46 years of age came over to the States six years of time out and then started to do this writing and talking and been on a few cruise ships got some nice cruises and I had about 15 cruises as a guest speaker everybody in the, I mean and you can tell is it any good well the rooms only got bigger and bigger and the audience <laughs> bigger and bigger 
and you become star of the ship for the week that you're on it or two weeks and you go back to reality that's as much fame as I would ever require because I've been calling to PBS to do a special for them but I gave them the right spiel to begin with and then afterwards while I was speaking to them I said well you know what that's not the way I want to do it like we're doing now I just want to do a free-flowing conversation so if you, me and you were on PBS now we'll be doing this conversation let the audience sit in on it and then let them ask questions to us both let them find out where we're coming from and how do we derive this this isn't rehearsed each thought that comes in is a thought I might have repeated something similar before but I don't want to repeat the same stuff all the time because I want to be entertained too I want to know what I'm going to be saying and I'm part of the audience if I'm speaking to you now I'm part of your audience as well as the guest as you are too you're part of your audience while you're speaking yes enjoying what you're saying and you, you we got on well because you're an intelligent guy and just the actual title which attracted me was your title of your show and Toothpaste Funny is a very intelligent very intelligent phrase very Thank intelligent you. phrase because for so many people Toothpaste Funny to them but not funny ha ha funny strange because they don't know yes. what it is yes and it does and there's no judgment in the title. It tastes strange, it can make us laugh, it can be absurd, but one thing that seems to be constant about it is that it, we're, we're surprised by it, we're put off by it, we're you know, occasionally embracing of it, but it's always, the flavor is always, always changing on us. You know, I one of the in your bio when it said that you that you speak on cruise ships, radio, and television, I thought, well, that's a model that I want to emulate because I can think of nothing more fun than just performing on cruise ships. I I used to think of it in terms of comedy because I do stand up comedy, but since I've been doing this podcast, I've changed my my vision of that, which is that whatever the, the performance will be or the presentation, it wouldn't be traditional entertainment. It wouldn't just be stand-up comedy. It would have to have some kind of unique substance. And like you say, it, it has to be fun and interesting for me and not be the same every time I go up and do it. Whereas comedians will mostly go around the country and hone the material so that at the end of a year of touring, they can record a special that is essentially every word for word what they've been practicing over the year and developing. They've been writing it and developing it. But in my case, I'd rather create a unique experience every time, every time out, just for my own engagement. Yeah, the unfortunate thing about it today is when I started it, cruise ships were kind of growing. It was a growing industry 22 years ago. Uh, they were coming on with these world club memberships and all this kind of stuff and the audience were more receptive as time's gone on now you, you've got to be a historian you've got to be a professor you've got to be a politician or you've got to be a celebrity same with authors who are writing the books you'll never find a publisher unless they've got some kind of handle to their profession and what they are. We've got to have a flowing audience because the publisher needs somebody who's already known. 
for somebody who's not known, it's very, very difficult. But Kay Rowling's found it very difficult with uh, Harry Potter. She couldn't get a publisher. Yeah. But, uh, but eventually somebody looked at it and one editor obviously saw the potential that was there. They used their intelligence to say, you know what, this has got more than just what you would expect in when you got graphics and stuff in the movie. It captures like the old fairy stories that captured people. Like the Brothers Grimm, you know, Disney's earned a fortune out of Snow White and Cinderella. The Brothers Grimm wrote the book with all those with all those stories. Yeah. And they got them from old folk tales from different people in the villages. So they've been around a long time, but now, apart from Mickey Mouse, Disney did take Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and all that lot, but the actual other things that they do, they've been around for a long time. So Disney has used that. They weren't copyrighted or anything, so they got free handle on it. They've entertained yeah. a lot of people, Disney. But then again, you know, to get... Say, I've written one of the, a bundle book which I thought I'd ring up Disney and say maybe you can make a movie on that. It was Little Goody Two Shoes. It was an old book that's been written. It's the only book I've ever rewritten. But it's 250 years old. And it was a derogatory term, Little Goody Two Shoes. It used to call people that because yeah. it was a But it wasn't. It was a book that was the best selling children's book for a long time. Nobody knows who wrote it. So I redid it. I thought, well, and I put a lot of what you call spirituality into it. And I contacted somebody at the studios and they said, just a minute. And I waited a minute and then they put a lawyer onto me and said, cease and desist, don't ever come to us for doing that. Go and find yourself <laughs> an agent, go to an agency, and then they'll come to us. I'm sure, the reason being, obviously, that I don't want to produce something and I come up later and say, oh, I gave them that idea. So they did the, I can yeah. understand why they're doing it, but Disney himself would be horrified for something like that. Because a lot of young kids today have come up with good ideas, but they can't connect the same way. It's not, so, like you said earlier about schooling, the schooling, people need to school themselves. Really. So the kids, if you start to understand and tell them how they can access this wisdom. You can't teach wisdom, and you can't teach truth, but you can allow them to understand who they really are outside as they're growing up. Before they, you can catch them at five, good, or four. Because once you get to seven, the ego's really basically developed. And from seven onwards, those become the reference points throughout your life. If you can catch your kid earlier, and if you've got wise parents, obviously the kid will grow up in a, a different form. But for the majority of kids today, it's, it's very difficult for them. I understand that. And I can't see how we're going to get out of this slavery that we've put our brains into. Mm -hmm. I had an interview with Ann Jennings. Like I said, I don't pay for PR, but Ann Jennings contacts me from time to time. as one of the top publicists. And she said, would you mind doing an interview for us? for five minutes. Uh, no pay involved in it, it's just she uses that as an example of an author who's been reasonably successful. So I did it and it's on my website uh, pointoflife.com and it's, the question is, are you a slave to your thoughts? And that's what I would do when I give a talk. The first question I would ask the people, are you a slave to your thoughts? And 
Are you in control of your thoughts? Well, a lot of people say, yes, I'm in control of my thoughts. They put their hand up. So I say, great, you're all in control of your thoughts on you people. One or two don't. They're a bit more savvy. So I said, right, you're all in. Now, all these people, do any of you ever worry? You all put your hands up again. Yes, we all worry. You've got to worry. So I says, well, if you're in control of your thoughts, why do you have to worry? Why would you subject yourself to something that you have got no control over? If you're controlling it. So what is controlling it? What is controlling your thoughts? To give you the worry. The events aren't giving you the worry. The interpretation of the events are, no matter how dire they may seem. In the animal kingdom, if an animal has fear, it'll freeze. And it'll get eaten up by the lions or whatever. But an antelope or whatever, it senses danger. It doesn't freeze and it runs, flight or flight. You can't fight a lion, but it can run faster. So it's aware. So we've got to run away from the fear and the worry that could inflict on us. And the way we do that is by going into our bubble of love and joy, who we truly are. And when you sense a few deep breaths and get back into that, you're back into your comfort zone, that's your yardstick. You're back home. You've gone on a journey, you went out of your comfort zone, and now you've come back into your comfort zone, and you're sensing and feeling it. While the events are still going on, the events haven't gone away. They might have gone ten times worse. But because they've gone worse, you've had to get back into that bubble, otherwise you'd have had a cancer and a heart attack, and it'd have killed you. People in remission understand this. I've talked to lots of cancer patients, so I've talked to some places where there's been cancer patients in it, and the ones that were in remission said, some of them said I was glad I got the cancer because it stopped me from going down the same route. It pulled me back, and now I can enjoy my life for however long it's going to last me. So it sounds crazy stuff what I'm talking about, going away from this physical, real world that we can smell, touch, smell, and sense through our five senses. But it's the sixth sense, our sixth sense of intuition and awareness that can guide those other five senses to enjoy better foods, better television, better shows, better entertainment, better living with other people, better ways of communication, better ways of living in the moment of each moment that comes along. And we've got this show, the moments are passing by while we're speaking, it's becoming history as we're talking. So we'll never get that back. This show will never come back into our lives again. We can repeat it and people can look at it from time to time. But it'll never ever come back into our lives. Those moments. So if we're in blissful, we're in now, and we're in the blissfulness of being while we're talking, then we are now a human being while we're being our true self. So the being has no form. Being is no thing. And everything comes from no thing. We're here now, and we're nowhere. Nowhere, here now. Same word. Write it down. Yeah. It's the same word. So we're now here, in our physical state. And wherever we're going to be going afterwards, it doesn't matter, because we're there now already. We're already there. You can sense and feel it and feel the comfort of it. Now, if this is all baloney, 
Well, it's great, Maloney. It works for your life. Right. It works for your living. And it's no, it's best to go down a route that you can sense and feel. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. But I do know every cell in the body works from that truth. And they don't argue with it. I do know a tree doesn't argue with the truth. When the wind blows, it bends with the wind or it cracks it up. Do yeah. not blade of grass lives its life as a braid of grass? So all the animal kingdom hasn't got an intellect to interfere with it. They do what they need to do. Apes may be a little bit different, they're a bit more. But there's only one difference in the molecule structure of an ape than there is of a human being. Believe it or not, there's only 10% difference in the molecules of a tree than a human being. The actual molecules that make it up. There's a life force in everything. Life force is in the rocks. Life force is in the oceans. Where do you think our water comes from that we drink? It comes from the oceans, goes in the clouds, we drink water. So we're part of everything. And that water's always been around on the earth, planet. Yeah, we're breathing. Jesus brought this, uh, Moses, Muhammad, they all breathe in the same air. It circulates around, just as the oceans circulate around. Energy keeps reforming itself. So we're all part of everything, but we come from nothing. And everything that's really creative has to come from a base of nothing. So it was already there, someone else has already created it. So if we're going to create something new, it's got to come from that base of nothing. And that base of nothingness contains massive, massive, uncalculable amounts of treasures. And those treasures can filter into our brain and make us very, very creative throughout our lifetime. And while you're creating, you're creating that joyful state of being. Now, if you go down the intellectual route and the intellect takes over and captures it, then it'll go down a different route. And that's why you've got so many bad movies. So many actors today, they've got the art of muttering. The scripts are so bad, they've got to mutter so you don't understand what they're saying. And then on television now, on programmes, they've got to play music in the background while people are speaking. And often the music is drowning out what the people are saying. Like on Shark Tank, they come on to explain what they're doing, and the music's so loud you can't hear what they're saying. So there's programmes that I might have watched at one time, you can no longer watch them. Intellectual brains have come into the being, Intellectual brains are making the movies today and they're draining out that beauty that made Hollywood great. Yeah. I watched a movie last night, two nights ago, There's No Business Like Show Business, with Marilyn Monroe, Johnny Ray, Ethel Merman, Donald Connor, and a host of other great actors. It was never done, and Irving Berlin, all Irving Berlin's music. It's absolutely sensational. Yeah. There's a number on it, rag, uh, Alexander's Ragtime Band, if you look at it on uh, YouTube. I put it on Twitter, actually. Just put it on Twitter. Alexander's Ragtime Band. They do different variations of it. And about, they put three different, or four different themes of doing Alexander's Ragtime Band. And the family who, uh, the movie's about, Donahue family, each one does a different section of that, that movie, uh, that uh, song. So when you get a movie like that, you come away and think, you know what, I've just been entertained. Since they're all dead, but the dead's come alive. And why do they come alive? Because it's such fantastic music, such fantastic stars, you knew how to perform it. And more or less, we've got good entertainers, like, you know, the songs that Beyonce sings and things like that. Not decrying that type of entertainment, but movie making and program making and what it used to be, it's nothing like what it is now. In fact, John Logie Baird will be turning in his grave if you can see what they do with television. <laughs> I think that 
if we were to distill all that down to one central thought, it might be that we have come to a point where we confuse nothing with something. We are constantly reaching for something, ignoring that something is already there. And we're just filling that, what we perceive as a void, if it's silence, if it's joy, if it's, you know, a sense of lack of movement or lack of noise. And we're filling it with what we perceive to be entertainment or activity or knowledge or information or news or opinion. And those things are all nothing. And we're squeezing out the, the something that's right in front of us. And I think maybe that question that I asked about, about how to find the truth, you've answered in the, in the form of truth, truth doesn't need truth, you know, what you said. It doesn't need any proving. Yeah, right, right. Truth doesn't need any proving. It exists. And it's only a question of whether we, whether we see it. It's not going to do anything one way or another. It's, going, it's not going to bend. So if we're really seeking truth, we have to get out of our own way, you know? Well, Michael, we could talk for, for a very, very long time, I think, and I think it would be quite wonderful. I am curious if you're working on something new, if you're working on a new book or a new project, because I do think that while you don't need to promote yourself, I think it's it behooves us to, you know, that's why I'm excited to share you with my audience. But what are you up to Well, now? the thing is, 17 books is enough. Some of them go quite deep, and you can only take people on a journey so far. I'm not a teacher, I'm not a preacher. The, I'll give you another poem, it's an easy way to describe it, because it's not something that I'm really, I, I, I don't want to prove anything to anybody. I, I made a vow before I wrote one word, that would never convince anybody of anything. And like with the business, when the business was no longer in that state of keeping me in a way of being that I needed to be, then I walked away from it. And it could have been the biggest sex art company in Europe had I kept on with it, but it might have been nearly grave if I had continued it, because I was in this zone, but I was never recognizing it. I didn't know what it was, and I wouldn't know. And I was more susceptible to the stresses and strains of everything. So, but something always cut me out from it. I didn't know what that was. So when I came here to America, then it started taking on its own version. And my mind basically allowed itself to be taken down this route of understanding. So I would recommend cutting truths to people. I'd recommend the joys of live alchemy. My website is pointoflife.com and the third book is Well, 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 Eat Well, Think Well, Live Well. Cutting Truth itself is 50 essays and it takes a person 50 days to read it. It's one essay a day and you don't go over that. If you do, you won't make sense of it. Now, this, they're not like regular type of essays that you're going to get in regular kind of books. It goes 
right brass hopping to different subjects. So some mythology in it. It's a different way and a different approach to start getting this intellectual brain mixed up a little bit. So it starts to buttle down to what it needs to do. The reason why he wanted to read the book in the first place. It will put people off. So I always say, if you're intellectually inclined and you're not willing to take yourself on a really deep journey, do not read my books. Don't go down that route because you're not going to get any satisfaction with it. You won't get past the first essay. So here's a, another little ditty. And this is a very simple one. It's called The Happy Hobby Horse. So it's good to leave us with something that we can understand in a different way. Because a lot of people are gambling today online and there's lots of stuff going on with the uh, uh -huh. and with crypto. Let's raise our glasses and make a toast to a simple pastime we embrace the most. Joy is our hobby, what a powerful force. Entering the human race, as a happy hobby horse. Contentment of living should never be a wager. Keep a steady pace. Don't become a galloping major. Jockeying for position could make us interfere in the celebration of life, which we all hold so dear. Steering our course on the right track, reigning in the anxiety that sometimes does attack. A smile on our face will be in the frame a photo finish winner, more happiness will be our gain. Every moment a pleasure, no whip to crack. With love on our saddle, there's no looking back. Cantering up the straits, gifts of wonderment unfold. Jumping over hurdles, led by a soul of gold. So again, we find well, how we're being led and where we're going to go to. And we're in the human race. So, happy hobby horse. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Michael, for sharing that and for all of your time here. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.